this is the Crime Cafe, where I interview some of the best crime suspense and mystery authors and thriller authors in, in the field today. And I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I introduce our guest, please remember to like us on Facebook on the Crime Cafe Facebook page and uh, go to iTunes and listen to the show and please give us a review there. Everything you can do on social media will help this show and help keep it going. And I appreciate any good word of mouth that you can help to spread out there about it. Um, also, check out the Crime Cafe webpage on my website, crimecafe.net. It's there that you can buy a collection of stories put together by all of the authors I'm interviewing here on the Crime Cafe. And the story package only costs 99 cents. That is a true bargain. While you're there, check out the Crime Cafe store where you can buy Crime Cafe merchandise. And now that I've said that, it's my great pleasure to introduce M. Ruth Myers, a prolific author whose latest series is particularly awesome from this writer's point of view because Ruth has a series about a female private eye named Maggie Sullivan, and she's no shrinking violet. Uh, she's my kind of gal, and so welcome to the show, Ruth. Thank you so much, Debbie. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you, too. It feels like forever since BoucherCon. <laughs> 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 but um, let's start with your uh, late series, uh, you know, the one you're doing now, this okay. sure. series. Um, why did you decide... To, to write about a female detective in the Depression era of the 30s in Dayton. And going into the 40s, well, I think for, for two reasons, um, actually several, but two main ones. One, I think that that is the era when we get the first wave career women, if you will. There had always been shopkeepers and things like that. But this is the era when the first time, for the first time, women are leaving the farm, they're leaving small towns, they're training to be teachers and nurses and things that are even more adventuresome. But those were the two big professions of the time. And still to go away from home and stay and to, um, uh, you know, get a job elsewhere was really something new that, that women had not done in any type of sizable numbers. So we're entering an era when women can not only drive a car, but they can own a car, as Maggie does with her DeSoto. And the other thing is, I think this era from the end of the Great Depression through the end of World War II was one of just tremendous change for the U.S., and I wanted to have that as the background because society was changing, certainly the roles of women changed during that era. And it's also a time that is kind of, I think, one of those hinges of history for readers, particularly because uh, they have some of the technology that we have, they have phones, but they don't have cell phones. So it's identifiable, but by the same token, it's distant enough that it's exotic without even leaving the United States. Um, so I think it's a lot of fun for that reason, and it has that kind of 
noiry alley appeal of the great movies from the 40s, you know, that we love, which focus, which featured, uh, you know, women who were assertive all of a sudden and who kind of disappeared in many cases after the end of World War II when, um, you know, a woman from that era who was a journalist that I knew said, we all thought we'd go ahead working and suddenly, you know, lots of them went back to the home. But even if they did, they had been changed in, I think, um, many ways that weren't always obvious. But, you know, they were more supportive of their daughters going and getting an education and their granddaughters and just many things like that. So. Yes. <laughs> I think those are all great reasons. Um, I'm reminded of a documentary I saw about Rosie the Riveter. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was iconic of the whole concept of women working and being more independent than they've been in the past. And I think that um, you're, you're mentioning the film noir period, mm -hmm. you know, of that, you know, of that very, yes. you know, the forties there uh, is also interesting because it's, um, it's post-war and, and the, um, the women in the, the movies had the tendency to be more, they pushed against their, uh, what do you call, sexual uh, boundaries, I guess, the gender boundaries. The gender boundaries, yes. And yet they did so in a way that was manipulative, sexually manipulative many times. The femme fatales. Yes, yes. And I think your protagonist is so wonderfully different in that she is truly independent and not trying to use men, but trying to work alongside them and be as good as them or or better. <laughs> and she uses their very pre preconce preconceived notions. Exactly to work against them in many cases. And of course, she's not above flashing her legs and she has great legs because she knows what a distraction it could be. Absolutely, yeah. 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 It's, um, it's a, a lot of times women do that today. I mean, they, they, uh, they um, use male assumptions that women cannot or somehow are, are at a disadvantage. Unfortunately, these perceptions still do linger today and women can really surprise men sometimes with, uh, with what they can do. Um, in any case, without going into all, all that, uh, which I already have, so it's too late. <laughs> um, can you tell us about the, uh, the general arc of the series and about your latest book and where it takes Maggie. Uh, the one that's just out or the one that I'm working on now? Uh, the one that's just out, I guess. Oh. Whatever you want to talk about. Okay. Um, well, the series begins in 1938 and will end in 1947 at the end of, um, World, well, actually, you know, a year or so after the end of World War II because I want to see the men coming home. I, part of what I want to do always in the background of the mystery is to show society changing and losing its innocence, which I think happened. And 
how everyone comes out on the other side. And of course, not all the characters in the series are going to make it out to the other side. And so I anticipate that readers are going to shed some tears along the way. And, you know, we'll see our hitman um, join up, among other things. And, of course, most of the men will be drafted, which causes a few complications to <laughs> maintaining it. But we've opened, we've had two set in 38, we've had um, one in 39, and the most recent one is in fall of 1940. And what I tried to do in that, um, in Shamus in a Skirt, was to show how the country still kind of thought that they could avoid being drawn into the war even as the bombs were starting to fall in London. And um, it's a book where Maggie becomes aware of how isolated she is in the sense of she's never been out of Ohio. I mean, she can shoot with the rest of them and throw a punch and all these other things, but she really doesn't have a sense of reality with what's happening there until she has a case that draws her into it with um, you know, people fleeing and people who have been in Europe. And so I wanted to show that. I wanted to show also that the country was not completely in favor of entering the war. In fact, it was very divided at that point because I think we've seen so many movies where this is the good war and, uh, you know, the greatest generation and all that, that we forget, or many don't know, that there was a sizable contingent of some of the most prominent political families in the country and others like the Lindberghs who were vehemently against the war and against America's involvement, other than for profiteering purposes in some cases. Hmm. And so that's, that's kind of where the story has come so far. The next book will be in 41, and it's going to end a few days after Pearl Harbor. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, anybody who thinks that uh, America was reluctant to become involved with uh, World War II needs to see the movie The Best Years of Our Lives. That really brought it home for me. Uh-huh. Um, now, according to your website, you've written more than a dozen novels in several categories. Right. Can you talk about them a little bit? Okay. Well, I started out, um, my first book was published in 1979 in hardcover from uh, Coward McCann and Gohagen, which is no longer in existence. It was part of the Putnam Group. And it was called A Journey to Cusco. Uh, there's a, I think the book cover is on the wall behind me. I don't know if you can see it. It's above the Shamus Award. Mm -hmm. um, but it was romantic suspense set in Cusco, Peru. And um, that's what I wanted to write was mystery, romantic suspense, that type of thing. Well, after the first one came out, they said, oh, you know, the market's soft now, but people are really interested in romance. Why don't you write that? So uh, yeah. oh I did that for a number of years. Well, 
did actually one historical romance and then what were called women's novels that had different degrees of it. And a couple of those are very skullduggery type of, uh, you know, kind of, kind of thriller things, not quite of that category. And um, then after a considerable falling out with the publisher that I'd been with for years and years, I did another book for Dell, which was um, a romantic suspense thriller with um, an international terrorist. And I'm told it's still quite timely. A couple of my books are. And I did reissue that um, as an ebook. And um, then I kept seeing all these consolidations, you know, that was happening in publishing of big publisher gobbling the next little guy and the next little guy and the little guy kind of parallel of what we were seeing with bookstores with the big chains eating up the smaller and smaller independents. And um, I just finally said, you know, this is ridiculous and stepped away from it for 20 years and did other things. And then, you know, if you're, if you really love to write, you can't stay away from it. So I came back. I was going to submit the first uh, Maggie Sullivan book to a regular publisher, was getting ready to do all that, and started to look into it and saw that nothing had changed in 20 years in spite of the fact we were using computers that you still had to send in three chapters by snail mail and wait for six months or a year and all. And a friend who was much more internet savvy kept saying, oh, you know, just do it online, do it online. Well, I looked into it and I took the plunge and, uh, you know, it's, it's had its challenges, but there are a lot of bruises in traditional publishing too. And oh, yes. so, so, you know, I'm doing what I love finally. And I found a lot of readers that enjoy it too. And, uh, you know, doesn't make as much money for pub as a publisher would want. And that's why we have kind of a pasteurized offering frequently from, pu from publishers, I think, is that um, they swallowed up these small publishers that used to do nichier type things. Anyway, that's where I am. <laughs> okay. Um, I see that, like myself, you studied journalism in college. I did, yes. But unlike you, I went to law school, and you went on to become an actual reporter. Uh, what was it like being a reporter for a newspaper? Oh, well, I loved it. I loved being a journalist. And, uh, you know, at this point in time, I'm glad I didn't stay with that because the newspapers have suffered so and it's not quite as honorable a profession as it used to be you know the crusading thing but uh, yeah I loved it and I still uh, when I get back to Mizzou enjoy seeing the campus and how everything has grown and changed and all but yeah I know the feeling yeah um, I'm fortunate enough to live near College Park and the University of Maryland there so I occasionally go there for various reasons and it is something else to go back and look and see the old campus <laughs> um, and you've also taught at writing conferences so correct I'm impressed. Um, in a nutshell what is the best advice that you would give to an aspiring author have the skin of an armadillo you're going to need that. 
<laughs> Anything else? Uh, no, I think I think uh, one thing I used to tell my adult classes is what I always had at writers' conferences, of course, was uh, when you finally finish your novel, don't think that you're mostly there because you're at best halfway. You're going to have to do the trying to find a publisher and you're, you're going to have to do a lot of rewrite before you get to that point. So, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, if you love it, go for it. Excellent advice. Um, also, I noticed that uh, one of your works was optioned for television. Actually, several of them were, yes. Which ones? Oh, I can't remember right now. None of the Maggies have been, although I have an agent who likes them a lot. Awesome. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I know Costly Pleasures was, Insights was several times. Um, Are those romances? Uh, yeah. Well, Costly Pleasures is kind of like Empire, I guess, or Dallas, a lot of, well, there are murders here and there, and, uh, you know, a woman trying to survive in the international jewelry trade, fine jewelry trade. I see. And um, then I think A Touch of Magic was, so several. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that your uh, Maggie series gets optioned at some point for something. <laughs> Because um, I think it would be awesome. Um, if they ever did make a movie or TV series out of your Maggie Sullivan books, who would you want to play Maggie? Oh, I have no idea. I've never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Someone to more from the British mold. I think, I think the British just do, even in books, and I noticed this in my 20s, that um, they did tougher women characters, writers like Helen McKenna's, you know, and you could even see the covers on um, the last book I did, which was this thriller, was A Touch of Magic, and um, you could really see a difference in the covers of the British edition and the U.S. edition. Uh, different philosophy. I think you're right about that, um, about the, the toughness. Yeah, you look at the Avengers and things like that. Oh, the Avengers. Oh, yes. <laughs> I oh, that was a favorite of yours. I adored the Avengers. Diana Rigg will always be one of my great heroines. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we uh, finish up? Golly, I can't think so. Um, you know, I just, I really enjoyed being with private eye writers in particular and always am delighted when I I meet another woman who's doing a tough character. I mean, uh, you know, I like to read a cozy mystery now and again, and mine, some consider them cozies, although there's quite a high body count in them, and Maggie shoots a lot <laughs> and drinks a lot. Well, soft-boiled, if you will. <laughs> but, um, you know, not, not one to sit around and bake and cook. <laughs> <laughs> I cook at least. <laughs> I cook and I don't have the bottle of gin. But I do enjoy the um, you know the camaraderie of women who do tougher characters and uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. That's fantastic. And I'm so pleased for you that you got a Seamus for uh, for one of your Maggie books. Congratulations. Oh, thank, you. thank you. I was pretty pleased too. <laughs> That's wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Ruth. Um, it was a pleasure to have you as a guest. And I would just like to remind everybody that you can like us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. You can also go to iTunes and leave a review. I'd really appreciate that. Um, as I say, every little bit helps. And go to the crimecafe.net website and check out the Crime Cafe webpage where you'll find all of the interviews posted in video and audio form, as well as the 99 cent story package, which is a real bargain, believe me. So with that, I will simply say, thank you so much for listening and see you in two weeks.